we've just been singing about the God of miracles, and uh, I want to speak to you about a miracle that took place in Luke chapter 5, the miraculous catch and the calling of Peter. So Luke chapter 5 and verse 1 following, Luke chapter 5. As the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats beside the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to thrust it out a little from the land. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we have been working all night and have caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was tearing. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. In the words of the Beatles song, it had been a hard day's night for the disciples, of, or who were to become the disciples that were at that time fishermen. They'd been out all night fishing, and they hadn't caught even a little tiddler, nothing, nothing at all. And then in the morning, tired, exhausted, just wanting to get to their beds, frustrated, discouraged and disappointed, they had to clean their nets first. You have to clean your nets straight afterwards so that um, uh, they'll, they'll be ready for the next time and they won't deteriorate. So getting that job done, they would then go to their homes to rest. Well, while they were getting to quit, uh, Jesus was just getting ready to start. Just before chapter 5 starts, we see that Jesus has been uh, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out devils. I mean, revival is taking place. Uh, he had to go to a remote place, and the people were searching for him and tried to prevent him from leaving them. But he said, no, I must preach the kingdom of, the, of God to other cities. This, why, this is why I, I was sent. So this great activity was taking place, and it's like it swept into the place where the disciples exhausted exhausted, tired, had a night, a far too quiet night, were getting ready, not just to call it a day, but, but to call it a day and a night. And then Jesus comes, and the crowds come, and Jesus sees the boats, and there's no way on the shore that he can speak, because they're so close to him, he can't get uh, any elevation, there's no platform for him to stand on to be able to address the crowds. And so he takes one of the boats... 
and asks Simon to thrust it out a little from the land. He gets away far enough. There's a place on Lake Gennesaret where they can identify the place where it's like a, a mini amphitheater just on the coast. So he gets back a little bit. Now he can address the crowds. I don't know what Peter was thinking. He was getting ready to go home and, and, and rest. And now he was rowing out Jesus out there to address the, address the crowds. And um, that boat had been useless for the whole of the evening. Um, G Peter had been aware of Jesus' ministry before that because Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. I don't know whether Peter was happy about that or not, but Jesus had done it anyway. And so G Peter was aware of Jesus' ministry. He was aware of this preaching the gospel and the miracles. But quite frankly, what did that have to do with the night that he'd just had? And I suppose Jesus might as well use his boat because it wasn't much use for the intended purpose of fishing. So Jesus taught from Simon's boat and prioritized the word of God to the people. He was in a failing boat of business Preaching to the crowds, the disciples were exhausted. Have you ever stayed up all night? And they weren't just staying up all night watching television. They were staying up all night and they were casting out those nets and they were pulling them in and they were casting them out and then they were rowing to a different place where they thought maybe the fish would be. They were going to every, every bit of the best fishing spots that they knew in the area, casting out, drawing in. I mean, they really were exhausted. And this is important. And now it's, 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 it's the daytime, the sun's beating down, the crowds are excited and Jesus is preaching the word which is all very well and good but they're going to have to go home and Peter's going to have to face his mother-in-law and say there's no fish this is the sort of scenario that we, we find this place in but something was about to happen they'd spent a whole night and caught nothing but Jesus was about to release a word that was going to change everything and going to change their life not just then but forever now it makes me think of of psalm 126 was about to come into action in peter's life and he didn't realize it yet i'm going to read from psalm 126 just for your interest uh where i have my computer in my office in our summit house offices i have one scripture to the left of my computer. Just one scripture that I place on the wall, and it's this psalm. Read it every day, flick my eyes to it very often. What Psalm 126? When the Lord restored the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captives, O Lord, as the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed to sow, shall come home again with rejoicing, bringing his grain sheaves with him. This is such a wonderful picture of people that have toiled for so long, sown in tears, not reaped, not seen God come through for them. And they have been going through a difficult 
dark night, a bit like the disciples had gone through that seemed endless and fruitless. But then the Lord steps in and restores the captives of Zion. He brings them out of this subjugation into freedom and liberty. The harvest comes that they've sown in tears for so long. Now it comes. And they're no longer sowing in a time of, of drought, but they are reaping and rejoicing. And it says that we were like those who dream. In other words, they couldn't believe what was happening to them. They couldn't believe what God had done. They'd been waiting so long, they, they had almost given up hope that anything was going to happen. But when God stepped in, the whole situation changed. The whole environment changed. Everything was turned right side up. They almost couldn't cope with what was happening. Is God really doing this? We prayed so long, we believed so long, and now it's hard to cope. It's like a dream, but the dream is the most wonderful dream that you could ever ever imagine because in this dream which is now reality is filled with laughter and singing and joy it's my favorite psalm it's there on one side of my uh, computer well weeping may last through the night but joy comes in the morning and Jesus said to Peter straight after he'd finished the word of God and preached the word he said, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. There was a command, but in that command there was also a promise and an assurance. Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Jesus was speaking into an environment that naturally speaking had already proved to be barren. They'd been fishing all night, and night fishing was the best time to fish. That's the best time at that time and that place to catch the fish. That was the best environment. And even in the best environment, at the best time, during the night, they didn't catch anything. Now it was the wrong conditions, the worst conditions, and even worse a time to catch fish than the time that they didn't catch any fish. And uh, the fish during the day, that daylight, they could see the nets as they were being thrown in. It was just the wrong time to fish. But, and Peter understood this, and he said, look, master, we have worked all night and caught nothing. He understood the natural situation that they were in. And he was saying, Jesus, naturally speaking, this isn't going to happen. But at your word, I will let down the net. There's something about being obedient to God's word, even in the most barren of circumstances. Sometimes we're looking for the right circumstances for God to move. And just when we think the right circumstances have come into our life, where we think now's the time, God has set this up for victory, nothing happens. And sometimes when God steps in, it's in the most uh, surprising of times, when we least expect it. When we most expect something to happen, when the disciples were expecting something to happen during the night, the optimum time for a catch, nothing took place. Now they were exhausted, they'd sorted out their nets, they wanted to go home, and now God was going to do something against the environment. This doubles the honor of God and the greatness of God that Conditions don't always have to be right in our eyes for him to move. 
This is a very important principle. Maybe you found out in your life, I have an occasion, that when I least expected it, when I thought that the moment had gone, when I thought that God had missed the timing, that he'd set it up and missed it, and now, well, Lord, that was, that was your opportunity to touch a life. That was your opportunity to bring success. That was the opportune time, Lord, but now it's past, and now it's not the right time, and yet God does something surprising amazing, unexpected, you had hoped for something like it earlier, you had lost hope, and then God came in to show that he is Lord. They were a failure on their own, but the promise of success, when mixed with obedience, changed everything. And so we come to the catch, and as they throw out their net they get this miraculous catch, a great number of fish. So much so that uh, when, when Jesus spoke the word and they threw their net, the catch was so big that it strained all their resources. They did not have the resources to cope with the blessing that came at that time. Their nets were never prepared for such a great blessing. Oh, the nets were prepared for a good catch, but never in their minds could they have possibly imagined, even, even as seasoned fishermen, the type of catch that they were going to get when Jesus said, let down your nets. They were unprepared. They were not expecting. They didn't have the resources ready. The circumstances weren't right for it. They were asleep to such possibilities. And then when it took, when it, when it took place, it overtook them. It overcame them. They were unprepared. They even called their partners out. Every resource that was available, they brought brought their boats out too, but you know the story, even their boats could not cope with the amount of blessing that was being poured out, and those boats that hours and hours and hours earlier had been in the dark, had not caught one fish, had been totally barren, now even the boats did not have the resources to be able to cope with what God was doing. And it says that when, when they were rowing, the boats began to sink. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having so much blessing in your boat that it begins to sink? Can you imagine God turning up in such a marvelous way that you are unprepared and you don't have the resources to cope with the kind of blessing that God wants to pour out? Especially when only a few hours earlier you were totally in despair and, and you had caught not even a little goldfish. Well, this proved one thing, that Jesus is Lord of the fish. I mean, how did he do it? It was a miracle. But there were fish out there. And when, when Jesus spoke, somehow the Holy Spirit marshaled those fish wherever they were and brought them from where, and marshaled them and brought them together. It was a work of God. I'm sure these fish had their version of free will. But even though these fish have their version of free will, they swim wherever they want, God was able to do something miraculous and shoal them together in just the right place that when Peter threw out his net, it caught them all at, at once. Now, we know 
that uh, later on Jesus is going to say that you are going to be fishers of men or you're going to catch men and I'll come to that. This is important because what Jesus was doing in the natural to Peter was part of his call and part of his promise of what Jesus was going to do in fishing for men, in evangelism. And so we see a parallel here. We can look at the readiness of the fishermen to catch this catch, but also we can see a parallel of the readiness of the church for when Jesus speaks the word and we get a haul, not of fish from the sea, but of human beings into the kingdom of God. They had been through a hard day's night. They were barren and unfruitful. They were weary and tired. They had nets, but with no catch. They were low on expectation. They were looking around and saying, it's a wrong environment for catching fish. Uh, there wasn't much. It didn't take much to, break, to begin to break those nets or to begin to sink those, those boats. I put it to you that this is a little bit of a picture of us today both as the church in general in Europe, but also for us as individuals, for what God has got planned for us and God's moments. I believe that there are moments of desert experiences that we go through, which is healthy, although we don't think it's healthy at the moment. Jesus had his desert experience. John the Baptist had his desert experience. Peter was going to have his desert experience. Many of them would have their desert experiences. But I do believe that there is a time of blessing, a time of fruitfulness. That's why I have that Psalm 126 up on my wall, because it shows that there's pain and there's sorrow, and there's, and there's a time of difficulty, but it also shows how wonderful it is, the difference. You see, if you're in the blessing all the time, there's a danger that you don't appreciate it. I wonder whether when God moves in blessing, on a group of people, or on a nation, or even on, on an individual, there's a danger that when they get used to that blessing that they no longer value it. There's an even greater danger for somebody that's born into the blessing of God or find themselves coming into a church that's perhaps experiencing the blessing of God, or find themselves joining a movement that perhaps is in the blessing of God, or in a nation that is under the blessing of God at that time, they're born again into it, they're, they're in it, they don't know anything different, and this becomes what they expect, what is actually quite extraordinary to them becomes commonplace. They haven't known it any different. This is why often when God moves in blessing... The next generation that never, never knew what it was like not to have that blessing or pray for that blessing or seek for that blessing, they take that blessing lightly. And the third generation even more lightly. And then often the blessing begins to recede because of ungratefulness. This is true for movements, uh, for nations, for churches, but also it can be true for us as individuals. Uh, may God not bless us too soon. I've shared this a number of occasions, and I just keep feeling like I need to share it, but I remember, I, be I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to me once when I'd gone through a trial, not a huge trial, but a trial nonetheless, and I came through it, and I felt that the Holy Spirit said to me, well done, you made it through that trial, well done, uh, but you're not ready for my greatest blessing yet. Uh, I'm sorry, my greatest test yet. 
And I thought, oh my God, who's going to die in the family? What's going to, you know, fear hit me. And then I felt that the Holy Spirit was saying, you're not yet ready for the greatest test yet, the test of my blessing. And immediately in my heart, I thought, I know exactly that that is the case. Getting ready. But you see, when the blessing's there, you've got to be careful that it doesn't, it doesn't spoil you or you don't take it for granted. But when the blessing's not there, you've got to be careful that, that, that you don't lose hope. Or that you just say, well, this is the most that I can expect in my life. This is the most I can expect God to do for me. This is the temperature of the spiritual climate around me. This is as much as we'll get of the blessing of God in Britain today and Europe today. And this is as much as I can expect God to move in my life and circumstances. I've peaked. I've hit a ceiling. Everybody. And then what happens is we can become like the disciples. We get used to very low levels of the Holy Spirit, very low levels of the miraculous and very low levels of intervention. How many know we have exceedingly low levels of intervention by God in Europe today? Exceed, I mean, really, I mean, I mean, sometimes I pray, and maybe this isn't appropriate, but sometimes I say, God, could it, eat, could it get any worse? Sure it could. Such tiny little, ble- so grateful for the drops that come from heaven, so grateful for the dew, but Lord, we've read of what you've done in times past. We know what you're capable of, not just in nations and in movements, but also in our, uh, we've seen what God has done in individuals. And so I think there's much here that we should ask God, Lord, how are we to prepare ourselves for what's coming? Are you ready for the blessing? Are you ready for for it if God moves? And getting ready for God to move is an end in itself. You say, what if I get ready and God doesn't move? The best thing you can do is get ready. Let God move when God moves. But get ready. Believe God. Prepare for God. Get your... Get yourself in a place where, should God move, it won't take you by surprise and spoil you. If God was to move today in great power in Great Britain, the Church of Britain is nowhere near ready for it. Nowhere near ready for it. Well, I'm not concerned and worried about what's going on in the church, generally speaking, today. I then get worried about what's going to happen when God moves in power. I get concerned. I remember even on Easter Sunday, which is always a great bumper Sunday for us, isn't it? And then, you know, the 11 o'clock service is bumper, bumper, bumper. And then 11 o'clock service, and it was a wonderful service, and everybody was praising the Lord, and I was worried. I was worried at the end of it, because everybody was sitting in... I mean, there wasn't a place that people weren't. They were spilling out outside. And I thought to myself, what's going to happen if God does what we ask him to do just through us? Well, we can hardly cope with an Easter Sunday. What's going to happen if there is a move? Well, this is why we're attempting and believing God for a cell vision. And that somehow when God moves, there's going to be rapid multiplication that is nothing like the type of traditional church wineskins that we have today. But enough about that. Peter's response is amazing, I think. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. You know, just a few verses before, in in chapter 4, verse um, 42, the people are seeing Jesus minister, 
preach miracles, and they don't want him to go. It says they tried to prevent him from leaving them. But here, Jesus does this miraculous catch, and, Jesus, and Peter doesn't say, stay, don't go. We can make millions of pounds with you at the helm of our fishing fleet. But something happened to Peter. He had an epiphany. He saw who Jesus really was. He'd seen him doing miracles before. He'd healed his mother-in-law. He understood the preaching. He was amazed by it. But now he was like, leave me. The people before were like, don't leave us. But Peter was so shocked to the core of his being by what Jesus had done that he said, leave me. But notice, although he said, leave me, he didn't sort of like leave Jesus, did he? He said he fell at his knees. So although there was something that Peter said, go away from me, at the same time there was this amazing attraction that Peter had to be so close to Jesus' need. And the inbreaking of God, the manifestation of God here, it was a miracle, but it, it, it demonstrated to Peter something. It was like the Isaiah 6-5 moment, when Isaiah also had a manifestation of God break into his life. And he said, woe to me, for I'm undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Peter was having such a moment at that time. He saw Jesus in a way that hardly anybody else had seen him. Maybe the rest of them were too busy looking at the fish, but he understood what kind of man can do this. Well, he came, he was fearful, he was sin conscious. He felt that he was unworthy and said, Jesus, you know, I'm unworthy, I'm sinful, depart from my presence. But the, great, the incredible thing is that Jesus didn't come, from, come to earth to depart from sinners. But he came to seek sinners, and not just to offer them forgiveness, but to recruit them and commission them to win other sinners, which is exactly what Jesus said to Peter. He said, do not fear. From now on, you will catch men. Actually, in the Greek, it says, from now on, you will be catching people alive. Those fish that they caught were going to be sold on the market. But now, Peter was going to be catching, he was going to be catching people alive. How wonderful. He's going to go, and, and he's not going to be catching people for death. He's going to be catching people, and they're going to be made alive. Think about this. Think about how this call had come to Peter. And think about Peter. What, what a, no wonder he, uh, he left everything and followed him. If Jesus was Lord of the fishes, and now we, he's calling him to fish for men, or to catch people alive, the same Lord that's Lord of the fishes is Lord of human beings. There's hope for us. There's hope for us. No human being is too hard for Jesus to catch. He caught you, didn't he? And so there's hope. There's hope, even in times when it seems hard, when people aren't responding. I know what it's like. I'm there myself. I've got 
my neighbor trying desperately to reach out. Their daughter is in a terrible scenario of getting cancer again. And I just want to pray for her. I am praying for them daily. I want to do something, but there's resistance. There's, there's resistance. There's, and I'm praying, God, will you break down that resistance? And then I'm getting depressed because I'm thinking, if, if I can't even be there and my neighbor's being open for me to do something in my lives across the road... How can I even pray for God to touch a nation? Well, I remember that no matter how it seems, how dark at night it seems for us, and how empty our nets may be, Jesus is the God of miraculous. And at his word, and he loves people more than we do. And so sooner or later, there's going to be another miraculous catch. And Jesus is able to marshal human beings just as he's able to marshal fish. And at the right time, in his right way, even though they have free will, to work his works to bring them into a place where they will be caught. This is a word for us today, not just about the kingdom of God and preparing for what God wants to do in our nation and, and to think about the miraculous catch instead of the empty nets. To have a mindset that's ready, believing, praying, thinking through a miraculous catch of souls rather than just thinking what a bad, bleak night that we had. Also, in our lives, the promises of God, the purposes of God for us as individuals, Spending our time believing God, trusting God, that, some, that, that what he said, he will do it. That what he's promised will come to pass. Trusting in his word, believing in his promises, taking those promises again and again to the throne of grace. Not giving up, but believing for better times. Not saying the environment is uh, too late for me. There's people in this place watching on TV. You've said it's too late for you. I just believe I've caught that. You've said it's too late for you about certain things. I don't know what those things are. You know what they are. It's too late for me. It's not too late for you. You've looked at the environment like Peter has looked at the environment, and you've said it's naturally not possible. The best opportunities for me have passed. No, I tell you in the name of Jesus, it's not too late for you. The best opportunities may not have passed for you. you, you it, it, God is not a respecter of age, not a, respect, a respecter of what has happened in the past, but he can do a new thing. He, he, can, he can bring a, a, an oasis in a dry desert. He can bring pools in dry land. He can pour rain. He can do whatever he wants, and he has a habit of doing it when you think the environment is not correct. You know, I think of Jesus, and he was speaking to these um, disciples, and I'll close on this. And he said, you are fishermen in the natural, and I'm going to bless you with the fish, but now you're going to take your fishing career, and you're going to use it for the kingdom of God. And you know, you think about the giants, if we could have the giants uh, background up. Part of our vision here at Kensington Temple is that we want to equip people where they are in the marketplace to be salt and light, to be Christians anointed for the various areas that you can see there 
behind me. That God has called you to your place of work or your career as much as he's called a person to be a preacher and that God wants to, to use you there. And I was thinking, uh, well, what would God say to you in your career if he said what he said to Peter? He said, you'll fear not, you'll be catching people alive. Would he say to the businessman, fear not, your wealth will be now a deposit of souls? Would he say to those involved in the medical arena, you will no longer be healing people physically, well you will be, but you will be healing hearts? Would he be saying to bus drivers, you'll be carrying new passengers to heaven? Would he be speaking to lawyers and saying, you'll be pleading for people before the throne of grace? Would he be speaking to teachers saying, you will be teaching the little ones the things of my kingdom? Would he be speaking to people in the realm of sports and saying, you will be coaching and bringing forth the skills of those that will be uh, the great ones in the kingdom of God? How would he say it for you, wherever you are, wherever your area is? What would he say to that which you do and you're called to do? And how would he address you like he addressed Peter to say that where you are is valid, but he's also going to use you for the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. The call of God is on our lives. Are there people here today... And you have had a hard day's night, however long that has lasted, a hard day's night. And you've got these nets and you've got these dreams, but you're wondering whether it's all over or whether the environment, the best environment, like that environment for fishing, has gone. The opportunity has gone. The opportune time has gone. It's finished. It's over. This is the last time, that, or the worst time, that, that anything could happen. Well, I ask you to lift your, hand, your head again. I ask you to lift up your prayers again. I ask you to encourage yourself in the Lord again. He's well able to do what he's promised. To take the promises of God that you've put aside because you think, well, that can't have been from the Lord. Well, maybe it was from the Lord. Maybe you need to dust off some of the promises. People here, promises over you as children. Promises and prayers over you as children. You know what they are. Things that God has spoken to you. Not airy-fairy things, but things that have touched the core of your heart. Maybe you even got saved with a commission of God. Deep, deep desires and heartfelt desires for certain kinds of, of ministry. I see people who have deep, deep desire to minister to the poor, but things have moved on from then. Well, maybe God will move you back to that. I see people with visions of visiting different lands in mission, but you've moved on from that. I see God perhaps awakening these things. God is at work while you're mending your nets. He's preaching his word into the empty boat of your life. And he's saying, prepare yourself, because in due season, in due season, I believe I hear the Holy Spirit say that scripture from Galatians, don't get weary, keep preparing, keep believing, keep working, because in due season you will reap. If you're sowing in tears, 
Keep sowing in tears. One day you will reap in joy. One day God's going to come through sooner or later. With every head bowed, I want to ask you, some of you, where are you with the Lord right now? And some of you, it's time to say yes to Jesus. It's time to say a big yes to Jesus. To say yes to his offer of forgiveness. You recognize a little bit like Peter, that you're a sinful person. Well, when you recognize you're a sinful person, you're in the perfect position for Jesus to change your life. And I want to give you an opportunity to give a big yes, to become a Christian tonight. To say yes to his offer of forgiveness. To say, yes, I believe, Jesus, that you died and rose for me. Yes, with your help, I turn from a life without you to a new life with you. You're ready for that. He's brought you to this place. A place of a big yes to Jesus. With every head bowed. Is there anybody here today, or maybe you're watching on the internet, you can do it in your own room. And you say, yes, I'm ready for a big yes to Jesus. Just lift your hand right where you are. Yes to forgiveness. Yes to mercy. Yes, I see a hand up there, young child. Anybody else? Right where you are. Yep, at the, at the back. I see that hand in the white shirt at the back. Anybody else? It's a big yes. This is it. This is your moment. Your life has come to this. Yes, I see a hand there. Your life has come and you're saying, it's time. It's a big yes to Jesus. Forgive me. Anybody else? Last time of asking. Is that you at the back, sir? Yeah, I see your hands at the back. Anyone else? A big yes. Maybe there's some people here and you're not quite ready for the big yes to Jesus. But I wonder, could you give a little yes today? Could you give a little yes to God or maybe even to yourself? And what do I mean by a little yes? A yes that you will make a decision to find more about Jesus, to find more about the message, to find out more about Christianity. You might not be in a big yes moment tonight, but would you say a yes to yourself and to God? Yes, Lord, or, or even just yes to yourself. Yes, I will keep an open mind, I will look, I will search, I will ask. Maybe you'll come to Frank Churick in a couple of weeks and hear what he's got to say about the strength of the faith. Is there anybody here? Not in a big yes yet, but you're gonna say a little yes to yourself, I will find out more. Why don't you just slip your hand up right where you are, just to show me that's where I am tonight, Bruce. A little yes to myself. Of course, you don't have to put your hand up. You can say it in your own heart, it's your decision, but that's what you're doing. I'm not ready for a big yes, but I will say a little yes. I will find out more about this Jesus. And then finally, maybe you're not even at a little yes. Well, I would ask you, could you give yourself today, and maybe God, a healthy maybe? A healthy maybe. What's that? You're not ready to make a decision towards Christ, but you'll make a decision tonight simply to remain open-minded. Open-minded. You'll remain open to hear, open for God to do something in your life if he exists. Don't give a big yes tonight. You're not ready for a little yes of seeking more information, but you're ready to say a healthy maybe. If that's you tonight, right where you are, I won't ask you to lift your hands. 
Just say in your heart, a healthy maybe, I'll keep open. I won't close off. I won't forget. I'll keep open. So in this place today, we've had big yeses. Become a Christian. I want to become a Christian. We've got a gift for you. We're going to give to you. We've got little yeses. People saying, I need to find out more. That's, that's a good place to be. Finally, we got healthy maybes. Well, I'll at least keep an open mind. All these are positive responses. We're going to move into time of ministry right now. And the ministry team will come forward. I've just got a couple of leadings for us to pray for. We'll pray for whatever anybody wants tonight as we worship the Lord together. But I've got a few leadings here that may be appropriate. We want to pray for anybody that has had angina problems. You've been diagnosed with angina, or you've suffered angina in the past, or anything to do with angina promise problems. You know what that is. In any shape or form, we want to pray for you. Say, well, I did have those problems, but I'm okay now. We'd love to pray God's health upon you, that you stay healthy. Or you've got problems, we're going to pray for you, so angina. Also, I got a leading that there may be a person that relates to the persistent widow here tonight. The persistent widow that sought justice from a wicked ruler and never gave up and fought for justice, 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 never wearied. If there's anybody in this place today or even watching on the internet, and you say, that's, that's like me, I relate to the persistent widow. I've been seeking justice for so long, I've been refused it, and, and you're in a battle, you're just seeking justice, the persistent widows. It could be a male, of course. We want to pray especially for you. We want to pray for people that have deep tensions in the house that they live in. This could be a family home or it could be a, a house you're sharing with people, but there are tensions in the house. I believe God wants to do something in that area. Want to pray for people, or maybe it's a word for you if you're watching on the internet, and you have got weed in your house. I'm talking about marijuana in your house, and you keep some there and you bring it out at times. God is speaking to you about your weed in your house. He knows it's there. Maybe some of you are going to go back to it. Maybe some of you would turn to it when you turn off this cast, but God is speaking to you. Get rid of it. If you need help, get help. We're here to help you. I also get a word, I don't understand this, I just throw it out, and if, it, if, it, if it's there, it's there, but I get this word, Petra needs help. Petra needs help. I don't know if there's a Petra here and you need help. We'll pray for you. Or on or watching, we'll pray for you. Or if you know someone called Petra, doesn't matter whether they're a Christian or not Christian, I ask perhaps you'd consider getting in touch with her and asking her, how are things going? Do you need help? Because if so, there may be an opportunity for you to say, that her name was mentioned in the service, and who knows what God will do in your prayers through her. Finally, if there's anybody that um, is watching or here and you've got some sort of calipers on your leg or some sort of support on your leg, we want to pray for you to be healed tonight. That wasn't finally, actually, the, the, there was one more. Or if you're out there in the, into the internet and you've got calipers or some support on your leg, put your hand on your leg right now 
and believe that God may do something to quicken the healing in your leg. And then finally, any accommodation issues, any accommodation issues, acute accommodation issues, we want to pray for you. We'll pray for anything else that people want, but I just throw those out as perhaps leadings that God might want to follow through in our lives. Let's stand together. Those of you that said a big yes, somebody's going to come to you with a little gift, a New Testament, uh, to help you, so they're, 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 they're only going to spend a few moments with you, nothing to worry about. We're going to worship the Lord for 15 minutes or so. Come out for these words. Come out for ministry. And we ask the Holy Spirit to do some powerful things in the next few minutes.